HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Cool. Welcome back Hi to <laughs> Hello. Uh, welcome back to Heritage Radio Network on tour. I'm Kat Johnson with Heritage Radio Network. As you can tell, my voice is pretty weak after two full days of radio and also the very fun parties that we've been having here at Charleston Wine yes. and Food. Um, I'm here with Steve Palmer, um, the founder and managing partner of the Indigo Road Restaurant Group. Uh, I spoke to him last year, and I'm so excited that he came back to talk to me again. Welcome, Steve. Thank you. Glad to be back. Yeah. And welcome to the Holy City. Thank hope, you. Hope you're having fun. I'm sure you're having fun. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so, yeah, last year we were talking a lot about your restaurant group, and I want to ask you a little bit about that. And then later on... Another thing we talked about was Ben's Friends, a very yes. important organization, and, and we'll also talk more about that, and you have some updates with that organization as well. Yes. But for those who are unfamiliar with the Indigo Road, can you tell me a little bit about the group and, and the expansion plans that are Shh. crazy? Kind of crazy. Um, yeah, so we're based here in Charleston. Charleston's definitely home. We own and operate eight different concepts here, um, ranging from our... 14-year-old restaurant, uh, Oak Steakhouse, which is was the first and is the classic. Um, we have Macintosh and Daco Oku, which is our sushi concept that we've opened in uh, Charlotte and Atlanta. And then the Cocktail Club, Mercantile and Mash in the Cedar Room, which is our an event space where we just did Namaste Bubbly, Vuf Clico and Yoga at 9 in the morning. Sounds and great. Of course, there were hundreds of people there. <laughs> as you can, I, And it was funny, there was another yoga event yesterday, and there was 15 people, and this morning they said, I wonder why it's so... I'm like, uh, Vuf Clico is here. Mm. So bubbles are worth getting out of the bed in the yes. morning for. But yeah, so we're based here. We have four restaurants in Atlanta. Uh, we're in Charlotte. So we're southeast... We're Southeast people, um, but yeah, I've been, came up to Charleston to go to college in 1989, uh, started waiting tables, and 30 years later, here we are. And what about some of the restaurants that you're going to be opening going forward? So, so Oku, our, our sushi concept, we're opening in D.C., Raleigh, and Nashville this year, and we'll open Oak Steakhouse in Raleigh. And then in Atlanta, uh, in the famous Hotel Claremont, connected to the Claremont Lounge. That If, if you, you don't know, Google it. Yes, Google that, bleep, and you will find <laughs> out. Uh, it, but if the Claremont, so we're opening a, rest, a French restaurant called Tiny Lou's, which is named after a dancer in the 50s who refused to dance for Hitler. So we thought she was worthy of naming our restaurant after. I agree. Um what, what are the specific challenges involved in having so many different concepts under one umbrella? 
Well, you know, it's interesting because creatively, we we're we're not chain restaurant people, so we're always thinking about different ideas. Um, the challenges, the challenges, and the reward is always the people, cat. It's always about people. Um, I am one, and they are many. So uh, this is a this is a team sport for sure. Um, but I think if you're investing in people, I, you know, we're all talking about being short staffed right now, and we're all talking about the challenges but i find that the companies that are really investing in their people are talking about that a lot less and we are really investing in our people we believe in our people our people are the reason this all works i always say i'm not the smartest guy in the room nor am i the best restaurateur i just work real hard on finding good people and what does it mean on a day-to-day level to be investing in people so we've done a lot of things this year we started a home loan buying program so if you want to buy a house and you've been with us for a couple of years and you can qualify for a mortgage, we will give you the down payment interest-free uh, so we make no money on it. So we're helping our employees buy, our, buy homes, and that is um, transformational for a lot of people that didn't ever think they could, they could own a home. Um, so we're, we're, we're doing that. We have launched a 401k this year. Uh, we have full medical and dental and health benefits. A lot of the stuff that has been missing from our industry. But I'll, I'll tell you, investing in the people is also the intangibles. That's all the compensation stuff. Um, we create opportunities. I mean, we, we're making people partners that were line cooks five years ago. We're making people partners that were waiters five years ago. Um, and, and I tell everybody, if you want a career with us, if you want a career in hospitality, period, uh, you don't need to go anywhere else. And so we're constantly creating opportunities for other people. And I think in that way, I think for so long, the ceiling was fairly low in the restaurant business, both in compensation and an opportunity. And so we're able to provide that. And um, I don't know. I think it feels good to people. So another thing that's super, super important to you is the the organization Ben's Friends, which we talked about last year. But I would love for you to explain shortly, like briefly what that organization does. Sure. So Ben's Friends is named after Ben Murray, who is a chef that worked for us. Um, he tragically took his life um, while we were opening a restaurant. Ben committed suicide, and he had struggled with addiction for years and years and years and couldn't get sober so i am a sober person in the restaurant industry which used to be a much more larger anomaly which is now becoming a little less of that and we love that ben's friends is a weekly support group that it meets to help uh employees of the food and beverage industry that are struggling with addiction get sober find help find resources we have meetings in raleigh atlanta and uh, charleston and we're expanding to Nashville and Richmond in the next six months. Why do you think it's helpful for people in the industry to have a group that's in many ways similar to other um, organizations, but sure. it's focused? Why Why is that effective? I think that it's... Hi, Jeremiah Bacon. Um, I think that, uh, you know, we're, we're, we are... I often joke that we are the island of misfit toys and I'm the mayor. Um, restaurant people are, are... It's just a different culture. We work at night. We work while everybody else plays. We work nights, weekends, and holidays. So our normal is Monday off, you know. Um, it's, but I think there's also um, culturally addiction in our industry has not only been accepted, it's been celebrated. 
It's been celebrated in the media. Oh, look at this chef's bourbon collection. Look at, you know, it, 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 partying has been celebrated. So I think, you know, restaurant people have this intense adrenaline rush at 8 o'clock at night when the restaurant's packed. Every, you know, and, the, and we thrive on that, by the way. But coming down from that when it's midnight usually involves lots of shots, lots of alcohol, sometimes drugs. So I think that the restaurant industry is a little bit of a unique subculture. And by the way, there are other industries. The medical profession has groups that address addiction. There's lots of subcultures in our, in our country that have already done this. Um, and often we're a little late to the draw. But, uh, but I think that there's nothing creates a sense of common purpose and bond more than a bunch of restaurant people with a, with a common purpose. I was, we just had Ben's friends this morning. I just left there and it was a room filled with people that were working crazy hours and chaos last night. And to be able to come to that safe place, uh, and feel accepted. I think there's a lot of power in that. And you were mentioning too, that specifically big events like this are like, can sometimes be even worse in a way than just your regular service because of the like level of excess. Can yes. you speak to that a little bit? Yes. Yeah, so this year uh, here at the festival, we did spirit-free after parties. So we had bartenders that made mocktails, got cocktails without alcohol, and we, we did it uh, Friday and Saturday. And it was just, again, the after parties are even bigger parties than what's going on today in the, in the culinary village. Right. They are the late night, blow your brains out and they're a lot of fun as I've said to you and I say to everybody Ben's Friends is not an anti-alcohol com- campaign we're just a healthy living campaign so I think within these festivals um, there were people at the after parties that said wow I feel safe I didn't want to have to go to this other after party um, a good friend who uh, was on your show yesterday uh, is just celebrating a year sober and they went to their first after party sober yesterday. That's a big event for somebody that is dealing with these issues. Mm-hmm. They went to the first, you know, sort of soiree as a sober person. And they were at Ben's Friends talking about it this morning because it was a very emotional experience. So those are things that may not ever occur to someone that doesn't have this issue. But they are huge deals for those of us on this side of the fence. And you mentioned that you've expanded since we spoke last year to Atlanta um, yep. and another city as well. And, and Raleigh. So why why specifically did the, were those two cities natural fits for Ben's friends to expand to first? So Scott Crawford in Raleigh is a uh, chef owner of Crawford & Son. He's 13 years sober. He's a friend. Um, you know, we, we're getting reached out to a lot. We're put, trying to put some parameters in place to protect the organization. We want you to have a couple of years sober. We, you know, that we we get very well intended emails from people who are thirty days sober who want to. And you know, our message is focus on your your work. Um, Atlanta's my hometown. I have a lot of um, I have a lot of ghosts in Atlanta from my days in addiction, and so it's been kind of a healing process for me. Um, but a lot of it, too, Cat, is just kind of organic. When people reach out, there's some sustained sobriety, and they're in the restaurant business. Um, we want to keep growing. I, I want a Ben's Friends everywhere that needs one, which I can imagine is a lot of places. But, um, yeah. 
Awesome. Well, um, Steve, thank you so much for joining me again this year and giving us an update on sure, both Indigo Road and Ben's Friends. Um, it's really great to see the work that you guys are doing. Um, once again, Steve Palmer is the founder and managing partner of the Indigo Road, which is a Charleston-based hospitality group, um, but with restaurants in um, cities across the Southeast and more <laughs> soon. More soon. Too many soon, I think. <laughs> Good luck. You're going to be really busy. Yes, ma'am. All right. We'll be back in just a moment with Jacob Jacob Hutter from... Huter. Jacob Huter, yeah. who is the, exec- the new executive chef at the Macintosh. Yes. All right. Stay tuned. Thank you. Welcome back. Um, we are... Broadcasting live from the Charleston Wine and Food Festival. This is Heritage Radio Network on tour. I'm Kat Johnson with Heritage Radio Network. And um, we just had a great interview with my good friend Steve Palmer of the Indigo Road Restaurant Group. Thank you, Kat. He's back. He's hanging out (laughs) on the couches. And joining us now is Jacob Hooter, who is the new executive chef, newish executive chef at the Macintosh. Absolutely. But you're not new to the Macintosh. Not new to the Macintosh at all. Yes. Uh, Actually, been with the company for a very long time. Nine years, eight years, nine, eight, eight. Since Jeremiah Bacon joined the company, so yeah, long time. Uh, been cooking with Jeremiah Bacon for ten years, I think now. Uh, and uh, we opened the Macintosh with him as a sous chef, and have worked my way up. So, um, and you are originally from Macon, Georgia. No, originally from Orlando, Florida. Orlando. Born and raised in Orlando, Florida. Then went to Mercy Mercer. University gotcha. in Macon, Georgia. Where the Kudu is, Kudu was founded, the Kudu Grill. Oh. Pretty fun grill to work with. Um, yes, four years in Macon, worked in front of the house actually, waiting tables and bartending. Uh, graduated from college and then moved to uh, Yellowstone National Park actually, lived out there for three years. What was it like living there and working? You worked at the Old Faithful Inn? Yes, yeah, so it's what in the dead like? center of Yellowstone National Park. It's absolutely amazing. Um, at one point, I lived in a cabin down by the river. Uh, and I woke up every day and looked out over the river to a meadow and see bears and bison and elk. So jealous. So jealous. (laughs) So it was uh, three years out there. uh, Did one winter. uh, Needed to move back to society, I guess, and grow up. Um, But I worked in front of the house, waiting tables and bartended, worked my way up to be the GM of one of the restaurants, uh, decided I wanted to cook the food. Uh, And so I moved here to Charleston, and that's where I met Jeremiah Bacon. Walked in the back door, and I said, uh, he was at Carolina's at the time. He just moved back from New York City. And I said, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm a hard worker and a quick learner. And he said, why don't you come stage for 12 hours and see how you do? And uh, I didn't think there was any way he was going to hire me, but he, he offered me a job for some reason. I think he was pretty desperate, uh, <laughs> but that was about 10 years ago. So, so you have a lot of front of house experience. How, does, do. that, how does that help you day to day as a chef? I, it really helps me uh, understand exactly what I'm asking them to do. Um, you know, we ask a lot of our servers at the Macintosh, uh, you know, menu knowledge, how we run food, how we serve food. And, you know, just kind of having that background and understanding uh, what it actually takes and what it's like to be weeded when you're a server uh, helps me understand kind of how I might want to plate a dish or maybe even do I pour the broth table side or do we pour it back here? You know, what do we need to do? So it helps out a lot. And you became the executive chef in October. October, yes. What's like been the biggest change for you in that role? Oh, man. What is the biggest change? Um, I guess being kind of the sole mentor of the kitchen. Uh, Jeremiah Bacon's always been there. Uh, and since I took over this role, he's really stepped back. Uh, he still mentors me a lot. Um, you know, but having him step away and have me kind of learn how to mentor, you know, my young cooks a little bit more. And then watching me do it as he's now changing or helping me mentor, you know, 
different people and doing different things, but uh, it's been a lot of fun. Um, if I could, I want to weigh in. You, yeah, were, yeah. you, well, because you asked me in the last segment what to define investing in our employees, and so Jacob has been with us for eight years, right? He started as a line cook um, and worked his way up. He's being very humble. He's one of the hardest working guys I've ever worked with ever, and I've been at this thirty years. But you know, he was somebody that had been in a chef de cuisine role for a lot of years. Four years. Four years. That's a long time in that role. And was thinking about moving back out west. And so we were able to, because Jeremiah was willing to really, in a lot of ways, step aside. I mean, he's not at home on the couch. But, I mean, (laughs) he was willing to give over the the reins to Jacob. It re-inspired him, reinvigorated him. And I I think that's, as we get older in our industry, I think that's one of our primary responsibilities is creating opportunities for the next generation. Jacob was just talking about being the sole mentor. Well, somebody was a mentor for him, and the way that we're going to keep people falling in love with hospitality is continue to give them opportunities and continue to mentor. I mean, we're all talking about how short staff we are, and so investing in employees sometimes, in a lot of ways, is just creating space for them to do what they're naturally ready to do. And it seems like timing is also kind of an important part of like knowing throughout your career as a chef or as front of house, like knowing when is a good time to step back and like take care of yourself and knowing when it's time to push yourself and challenge yourself. What do you guys think about that? I think, I mean, I don't know. Uh, Timing has been, I feel like I've been very lucky with my timing in my life. Um, uh, But, you know, I think it all happens for a reason and, you know, I've always been the person to jump on the opportunity when I see it. Um, I'm still waiting for that time to step back and take care of myself, I think. But uh, right now, I'm still trying to push forward and jump on opportunities when I see them. Um, and I've been so lucky to work with Steve for so many years and grab all the opportunities he's given me. I think for me, it means something a little bit different now, Kat. Like, I, I believe if you want abundance in your life, if you want great things, and give it to everybody else. So I think for me, it's it's less about stepping back and more about giving more, mm. but not giving more in 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 order to 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 you know not giving more to self promote myself or to get more gain, but mm-hmm. giving more to them. And the beautiful beautiful lesson in that is the more that I give to Jacob, the richer my life becomes. So I feel like as business leaders, as restaurant owners, if if more people understood that concept that. If you want abundance or you want whatever it is you want in your life, give it give it to everybody around you, and it will come back to you in a way that you can't possibly imagine. We have, by the way, I want to say this. I think the, the Macintosh, so by following that principle, I think the Macintosh is the best it's ever been, and it's, seven, it's coming up on seven years old. So not only everybody wins when we're a little more focused on giving to the people around us and less about what's in it for me. I don't know. That's my soapbox moment. <laughs> that was great. Uh, we ate at the Macintosh last year. It was great. Awesome. And um, but you know that was uh, last March. And so Jacob, what's uh, what's on the menu right now? What's maybe new and exciting for you at the Macintosh right now? Uh, I think one of the main things I'm real excited about is the family style stuff we're doing. Uh, it's down at the bottom of the menu. There's a couple different items, um, and they're meant for two to four people. Uh, one of my favorite things right now is the whole duck. Um, so we take the whole duck, we break it down, um, 
We can't feed the legs and then we can't feed the wings. Uh, we brine the breast and then we'll sear the breast, uh, cook it to about a mid-rare. We serve it with foie rice. Uh, so you get two breasts, foie rice. We take the duck confit, pick the legs. Uh, we make like a duck orange salad, if you will, um, with the duck orange sauce. Reheat the duck confit and toss it in the salad. Uh, we fry the skin from the legs and put that on top of the salad for a little crunch. And then we deep fry the wings uh, and toss that with the fish sauce caramel for a little chicken wing, if you were duck wing, if you will. It is the bomb.com. That sounds so <laughs> indulgent in the best way. It is so, so good. It's, so uh, good. it's fun, you know, and I think one thing we're trying to do is go back to having more fun, you know, and so we're doing it right now. What, uh, how much like R&D are you doing day to day? Oh man, the best R&D trip in my life. We were just in New January. York. Oh, where did you guys do? Uh, well, so, so. The most epic 24 hours <laughs> in New York City. 20,000 calories in 24 hours. Food bender. On the next Heritage Radio. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we, we were doing all things French because we were thinking about Tiny Lou in Atlanta. Uh, at Jacob, certainly there are French elements in the Macintosh. So we went to Le Cuckoo, which is the hardest reservation in America to get. Um, classic French. Old school, Old school butter cream, not for your diet plan. In your, in your face, rich <laughs> and amazing. Yeah. I mean, like, how over the top can we be? Um, went to Balstazar, of course, a New York, course. A New York classic. Uh, Cher Schmidt, yep. uh, dirty French, nice, which was dirty and good. Um, <laughs> so dirty, it's so good. It's amazing. Dry, the, the dry aged duck breast was a life changing, li- life changing event. Yes. Uh, so we literally hit. You know, when you eat with restaurant people on R&D, it's a full contact sport. Um, (laughs) It's it's funny when we drag along a non-restaurant person, they're always like, is it, is it? Is it like this all the time? (laughs) Yes. And then there's a juice cleanse and uh, we rinse and repeat. Why, Why was it important for you guys to go to New York to do a trip like that? Oh, man. Uh, I mean, it re-inspired me for sure. Uh, it's been a long time since I've been to New York with Steve or just in general. Um, but, you know, New York, I think, is always the cutting edge in the culinary world. Uh, they're always doing, you know, the new things and they're always, you know, they're challenging each other and they're having so much fun. Um, uh, but, you know, really to get away and sit down and, you know, not think about the actual restaurant and the day to day stuff, the grind, if you will, and to think about why you got into the business and, you know, to sit down and enjoy and indulge and, you know, realize that, you know, this is why people come in because they want to have fun and they want to enjoy themselves. And, you know, it was, it was nice. It was important for me, for sure. I, I think it's super important to eat in other people's restaurants and super important to get inspired. Um, I am enormously fortunate that I eat all over the world at this point. Uh, I'd say 80% of my income goes to eating, which is problematic in all of the ways you can imagine. Um, but, you know, there there's nothing more inspirational than going and seeing somebody who might be doing it a little bit better than you. And it's having that open mind to learn new things. Um, I don't know. Our industry is always evolving, right? Always. Uh, it's just important to keep educating yourself. So, Jacob, can you tell me a little bit about the events that you've done this weekend as part of the festival? All right. Um, Friday, I was down at the tents. Uh, just did a little sausage with uh, beer 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 braised cabbage in the center of it uh, with some Dijon A's. Um, So that was Friday. Last night we had an amazing event uh, with with Gabrielle Hamilton uh, at the Macintosh. We cooked on the courtyard. Uh, We did some whole roasted rabbit over the fire. Uh, Absolutely amazing event. Uh, And then this morning I was in the industry lounge 
you know, just kind of hanging out. Uh, did a little foie rice that I told you about with the duck. Uh, we did it with some quail, Manchester Farm quail. Oh, we had that, and it was fantastic. Awesome. Awesome. It kept uh, us going yesterday. <laughs> really. Uh, so, yeah, just a little fun. And then uh, Harley Hazel, my sous chef, will be doing an event. I think she's at the tent later on this afternoon. I'll be helping her out with that. So, yeah, cool. staying busy and enjoying the weather. So, speaking of the quail, um, can you talk a little bit about who you're sourcing from and who are some of your favorite producers in the Charleston area? Absolutely. Well, Manchester Farm Quail, uh, we get our, all our quail from them. Um, absolutely love them. They have so many different products. Uh, the one we have in our menu at the Macintosh right now is the uh, semi-boneless, but we keep the feet on. So you have nice little like gnarly feet looking at you. It's pretty fun. Um, locally in town, uh, Lowland Produce. So Lowland Farms uh, on Johns Island. Uh, might be by far my favorite produce. Uh, Skinny's doing an amazing job. Uh, Ambrose Farms is also amazing. Uh, people to source from. Uh, Mark Mahefka off Shim Creek. Uh, some of the best seafood you can get. Um, you know, he goes out three to five days depending on the season, depending on the regulations, and goes fishing. And then when he's on his way back in, he shoots me a text of what he has available. Uh, and then it could be at three o'clock in the morning. It could be at eight o'clock at night. And I just tell him what I want, and it's there the next morning when I get there. So it's. You know, pretty amazing. We're very lucky to be here in Charleston and have so many resources so close to us. And uh, I always forget about it until I go somewhere else and realize that they're sourcing from so far away. And we're just sourcing from, you know, just right up the road. Can I ask you, speaking of sourcing, when you were working um, out, out in Yellowstone, if you're, you were in the middle of a national park, I would imagine you can't really source from that protected <laughs> they don't let you they don't let you hunt the bear no. <laughs> right that's exactly what i'm thinking so what what was sourcing for a restaurant there like you know it, it's such a large basically a massive you know park and there's so many different restaurants just at old faithful there were you know 10 different places you could eat um and so i actually never did any of the ordering uh, it was all done uh, up in the north part of the park by, you know, people. Their only job is just to order the food. Um, I'm not sure who they were ordering it from. Um, there were definitely some local providers, though. Uh, we had the bison leg on the menu. Uh, and so uh, they were getting that from Wyoming, actually. Um, so they, I can't imagine what it was like, but uh, I do know there were a lot of farms and a lot of local people doing some good things out there. Uh, I was was not part of it, at, though, at that point. Did you miss that? Like, do you, do you like... Does it mean a lot to you to be able to have like a lot of control over that and personal relationships with your suppliers? Uh, absolutely. You know, the personal relationship with these, the purveyors is everything. You know, being able to talk to them on a daily basis to see what's going on in their life. Uh, you know, how the water is, how, you know, when we had snow in January, I was texting Skinny and like, hey, what happened? What's going on at the farm? And, you know, when are you going to be able to come back? What's going, like, what did you save? Were you able to save anything? Um, you know, I definitely love talking to them, figure out what's going on. And it's nice to, you know, it helps drive the menu. You know, what's going to be planted next? What are you going to have available next week? Uh, you know, all those things are pretty awesome. Well, um, we are almost out of time, but I want to thank uh, Jacob Hooter and um, Steve Palmer. Jacob is the executive chef of the Macintosh here in Charleston. And Steve Palmer is the founder and managing partner of Indigo Road Restaurant Group, of which the Macintosh is a part. Absolutely. Thanks to you both for being here. Thank, thank you, Kat. Great to see you again. Thank you. you too. All right. Well, I want to give a quick thank you as well to our sponsors, Big Green Eggs, Springer Mountain Farms, the Julia Child Foundation, and Wisconsin G's for sponsoring our 
trip down here to Charleston for Charleston Wine and Food. Uh, once again, I'm Kat Johnson for Heritage Radio Network. Stay tuned. We will be right back with another very exciting interview from the Springer Mountain Farms campfire. <laughs> 